Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of English with Tim, the podcast where you can learn English in depth and detail. I'm Tim Sexton, English teacher, polyglot, dictionary writer, and world traveler from the United States. I'm also the author of Words for Numbers, where you can learn hundreds of words for talking about data for IELTS Task 1 academic writing and for business English. I'm recording uh, tonight live from my backyard, which is why you can hear some wildlife, possibly. Um, Noise-canceling technology has improved, so maybe you don't actually hear anything besides my voice. But if you hear something, um, you'll probably hear some crickets. Um, You might hear some cicadas. Cicadas are, well, you'd have to look at a picture of them. It's a rather large insect. It's about um, three centimeters long, has um, thin, transparent wings, and is quite heavy. It cannot... Um, it's not capable, really, of sustained flight. There are seasonal cicadas, which um, are, um, you know, you can hear them every year. You can see them every year. And there are the seven-year cicadas, which were here two years ago. Um, so, anyway, episode 16 is a, um, a battle of the dictionaries. I'm going to talk to you about which dictionaries are the best for learning English vocabulary. First, I'm going to give you a little update about what I did this week. Um, three things. Um, I did some trail trail running, so I really love trails, and I like running. I'm not crazy about it, but I like running. Um, but when I run, generally it's on the road, sometimes in some parks, but not really on dirt uh, trails. Um, so I did some trail running for the first time actually ever in my life in a kind of a systematic way. I've done it incidentally, um, but this time was um, intentional. I got in the car and I drove to a park um, that I used to live near when I was a kid, and I went for a run. And there's a um, there's some hills there. Um, the first one took me, I don't know, it's only about 10 minutes to get to the top of, but wow, what impressed me most about trail running is as a sport is that um, it really takes so much more out of you than, than road running does. Even if you're running up a hill, um, running up a hill is uh, one thing on the road. If you're running up the same grade or the same angle of road, um, the same grade um, off-road, um, then off-road it's going to take much more out of you. You have to pay a lot more attention. Um, and it's not you know super challenging, but um, it's enough of an extra challenge beyond what you're already doing that it really takes the energy out of you. So I did it four times. The first time um, I felt great afterwards. The second time I also felt great. The third time, um, just very good. And um, each time that I did it, especially while going uphill, I could just feel the mitochondria in my legs just multiplying and my legs getting bigger and myself becoming stronger generally. Um, And on the fourth run, which was a couple nights ago, um, I just overdid it, and I ran too many nights in a row, or too many nights in the same week, um, didn't eat enough that day, and I crashed and burned. I didn't have an accident, um, exactly, I just um, realized about, uh, you know, a quarter of the way into the run that this was not a great idea, and I ended up feeling really terrible, and it took me about a day to recover. However, today I went for a mountain bike ride. Um, The weather's been really great, Um, in contrast to Europe, where it's been shockingly hot, um, dangerously hot. Um, Other thing that I did was I had to buy a new blender, a new mixer. Um, That is because about two years ago, um, I bought a Nutribullet. A Nutribullet is a brand of 
fruit and vegetable blender that you use to make smoothies with. It's kind of low end. It's about it, at the time was about sixty five bucks. Now with inflation um, and their I guess increased popularity, they're probably you know a hundred bucks or something. Um, but after two years, it burned out. Um, it didn't quite burn out. It was more that I was finding pieces of metal in my smoothies. So I, I decided it was a good idea to buy a new one, um, and indeed I did. Um, and it's not quite as nice as the old one. I, I, mechanically, the pieces fit together better. There's kind of a feeling of of snugness. When two things fit together snugly, they fit together. Two mechanical pieces fit together snugly. That means they fit together very closely in a way that shows that they were manufactured to a high level of quality. There's not extra space between them. Um, but um, I do one special thing with my blender. Um, which is that I take pieces of cacao. Cacao is the plant that um, you know they make chocolate from, and I take um, raw cacao nibs. Cacao nibs are just like little kind of teardrop, irregularly shaped but roughly teardrop shaped pieces of cacao, and I um, throw them in the blender um, with some water um, to grind them into a kind of a soft, mushy liquid. And then I put them in the coffee machine and I drink it. Um, I, I then I you know I, I shoot water through it or I let water filter through it. And um, I have a coffee-like drink, but it's based on chocolate rather than coffee. And I um, with the old Nutribullet, I could do that because the blend the blade was very low, and so when you press the button, um, it would cut up all kinds of stuff that was really close to the bottom. The 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 Ninja, which was the new blender that I bought. Um, which is higher quality with all these snug-fitting parts, well, I was a little bit disappointed because um, the blades point upwards, and so when you press the button, it doesn't cut up anything unless you already have a lot of stuff in there. And so I end up with a more weak and more diluted cup of chocolate um, than I did before. But that's not the primary function of the thing. It's not their fault. Nonetheless, it's a little bit disappointing. Um, but I'm drinking vegetables again because I'm too lazy to chew. The other thing I did, the third thing, was I bought some new clothes. I rarely do that. I generally wear things until they're absolutely worn out and I'm kind of an embarrassment. But this time I thought, I'm going to go buy some new clothes, just some t-shirts. Anyway, to the topic of, the, of today's episode, it's the battle of the dictionaries, and one of the competitors is going to be ChatGPT, and that's you know something people have been talking about. Um, I guess people are talking about it now a little bit less than they were, say, a month or two ago when it made a really big splash. Um, but I tend to be afraid of things like this. Um, I see the th- that they threaten me, and I don't want to look at them. And um, this time, curiosity got the better of me. But ChatGPT is not um, the only competitor in the Battle of the Dictionaries today, um, and it might not even be the best one. Um, of course, what's best um, for one person is not the best for, for other people. And so I'm going to give you a little rundown or summary um, of several dictionaries. So they are um, Google, um, which everyone uses, um, Longman's, Cambridge, um, Britannica, formerly known as Learner's Dictionary, um, and Wiktionary, um, from the same people who brought us Wikipedia, um, and finally ChatGPT. So let's get started. Um, First, we've got Google, Google Translate. This is what everybody uses, and if the English teacher asks people, like I ask people, you know, do you use um, Google Translate in 
people kind of sheepishly, sheepishly means like shyly with a feeling of embarrassment. They kind of sheepishly tell me, yes, I use Google Translate. Um, and I don't think Google Translate is a bad thing. In, in fact, I think it's a really good thing if you know how to use it um, and you know what it's for. It is not really a great tool for learning vocabulary in a systematic way. There's kind of two ways you can use a dictionary. One is you can use a dictionary reactively, and one is you can use it actively. Um, reactively, I, what I mean by that is that you're reading a text or you hear something in conversation, you hear a word or expression, and you want to look it up so you can understand what you missed. Um, and solve your problem, which is that you didn't understand. Um, and reactive dictionaries are good for, um, especially for reading larger texts. Uh, some years ago, um, I read a Russian science fiction book um, in Russian, and um, I tried to use Ozhigov's uh, dictionary, um, which is a Russian-only dictionary for Russian native speakers, to understand the words that were in the book. And you know, it was slow. And at some point, I just gave up, and I said, I went to Google Translate, and it was a great decision. Um, so um, the good thing about Google is that it's fast, um, and if you enter one word at a time, you know, it gives you a lists of, list of possible definitions. For pairs of languages like English and Russian, especially, um, or English and German, or English and Spanish, or probably Spanish and German, and, you know... Uh, Spanish and Chinese, you know, popular languages, widely spoken languages, the quality seems to me to be pretty good. I can't verify for every one, but I can say for sure that for English and Russian, it's pretty darn good. Um, I stopped using, for the most part, a paper dictionary that I had, um, which is a little bit better in quality, but it's not as extensive as Google is. So, you know, Google is, if you want something reactive, um, you know, you just want to find out what's in the text. Your goal is not to learn vocabulary so much, but rather to um, get the information out of text that you need and that, um, yeah, you just use Google to solve that problem. You know, certain words are stopping you from getting the information out of texts, and Google lets you do it quickly. You can also, of course, write these words down afterwards and um, make a list out of them and study them. But in reality, I don't. I honestly don't think many people do that. Now, I have. I've had a few students who do do that. Um, they tend to be very methodical people. It's a certain type of person who does that. Um, can you change yourself and make yourself do that? Yes. Um, do most people do it again? No. Not super realistic. Um, next dictionary in the list is um, Longman's. Um, you can find Longman's at l-d-o-c-e-online.com. So that's Longman's Dictionary of Contemporary English. And uh, who is this for? So it is... Um, it's an English-only dictionary, first of all, and it is more for kind of upper-intermediate or advanced learners. Um, if you go on their site, you can see that um, the number of definitions is extensive. It, I won't say it's exhaustive. It does not include archaisms um, and re really rarely used meanings of words, um, but it does go into depth. You know, it goes into, you know, so-called C2 level. I think I've told you before in previous episodes I'm a little bit bearish or skeptical on um, this CEFR, this A1, A2, B1, B, uh, B2, C1, C2 scale. Um, but it does go up to the so-called C2 level, and so you get all the definitions. Um, they're separated by part of speech, so you know, you'll have all the noun definitions in one part, and then you'll have all the verb definitions in the next part in a kind of a, a semi-separate article. Um, the definitions are written at a fairly high level. If you've got a B1 level, 
you're going to get lost in the definitions. If you got a B2 level, you've got a fighting chance, and I'm not a fan of fighting chances. I want, if I'm using a dictionary and I want to look things up and get a good idea of what each word is, well, I want to know what the stuff means. At minimum, the dictionary, or sorry, the definition needs to be extremely, extremely clearly written. Um, and if you're at a B2 level, that might not be the case for Longmans. Um, so if you've got a low advanced, so-called low advanced, or you know higher advanced level, um, and you're plugging gaps, filling gaps in your vocabulary, then Longmans is a great way to do it. Another thing that is really wonderful about Longmans is that um, it has a large, very large number of example sentences. So you have at the bottom of the page, you have... Um, something that says examples from the corpus. A corpus is a very large body of English text, which includes texts, plural, from many different sources, usually. So you might you might have a focused corpus um, that's, you know, a newspaper corpus, um, but generally a corpus is mixed. You know, it's got newspaper things, um, it's got uh, things from fiction, it's got things from radio. Um, Longman's corpus um, is kind of oriented towards written sources. It looks like it's, it's newspapers and government reports and things like this, so it's kind of dry. Um, but in contrast to definitions... Um, where I in, I firmly believe that you need to understand every single word of a definition. With example sentences, if you've got a lot of them, it's okay if you don't understand all of them. Um, if you don't understand a word in a def in um, a certain word or expression in an example sentence, just ignore the sentence and move on. And with Longmans, you've got so many example sentences from the corpus um, that you know just read the whole list of them and the ones that you don't understand, just ignore them. Um, and you'll end up with a, a stronger understanding. Again, um, if your level is B2, you're going to struggle with some of the sentences. That's okay as long as you, you skip over them. Um, and so what is this dictionary for? As I said, it's for advanced people, and it also, um, you can use it as you can with all of the other dictionaries here. Um, and this is something that I encourage people to do. You can use it with a word list, um, for example, of the most used words in English. Some of those word lists um, are the Cambridge A2 keyword list, which is, you know, a, a pre-intermediate word list. Um, and that's not built built precisely on function. It's It's, you know, more like a group of people sat down and said, okay... Um, for people who are going to travel and go to school and want to have a basic social life, what are the words that we need? And they, you know, cook up this list, cook up a list, or, you know, cook up something means that they kind of invent it on the spot without uh, planning. So, um, yeah, you take a word list, and um, you go through the word list, like A2 keyword list. Also, Cambridge makes the B1 preliminary word list, which is a little bit more advanced. Unfortunately, Cambridge's word lists do not extend beyond the B1 level. Um, there are other word lists, though, like the NGSL, the New General Service List, which I talked about several episodes ago, um, and which has 28 words, 2,800 words in it. Um, and you can go through it, and there's also a 31,000-word NGSL. <laughs> so that one is a really serious list. And what you do is you just, you know, take the list, and you for each word... Um, that's in the list, you check and see if you know it, and when you check to see if you know it, you, you, know, you go in the dictionary, and do not tell yourself, oh, I, I know the word appeal, or I know the word at. Be open-minded to the idea that you don't know this word, um, or at least all of the meanings of it. 
because in my experience, you know, people chronically, chronically overestimate how well they know vocabulary. They think they know every meaning of every word, and they generally do not. Um, so, um, you know, you take the word list, and you go into Longman's or whatever other dictionary, and you go through it word by word, free, you know, by ranking. Um, and you find the definitions that you didn't know before. Um, and with Longman's, yeah, that's one of the great things you can do with it. Anyway, next dictionary. Um, similar product, but for a very different level, it's Cambridge. So Cambridge, Cambridge Learner's Dictionary. If you go to Cambridge, um, don't remember the exact website, but if you look up Cambridge English Dictionaries, it'll take you to a website, and there's a drop-down menu, and it lets you choose from a number of, of dictionaries. Um, some of them are translation dictionaries. You know, there's like an English-Russian, or I think there's a Russian-English, maybe. There's Korean, there's Spanish, there's Chinese, there's Hindi, and, you know, various other um, languages spoken by giant numbers of people. Um, and Cambridge, if you go to the Learner's Dictionary... Um, this one is the strongest one. It's uh, for for like pre intermediate people um, and low intermediate people. It's still useful at like a, a higher intermediate, you know, so called B two level. Um, but it's still kind of easy. Um, the thing about it is the definitions are simple. Um, they don't go into detail. If you're at B2 level, this is already honestly a little bit too easy for you. I wouldn't use it um, necessarily, unless, necessarily, unless you're on the low end of that. Um, and the examples are short and simple. They tend not, in my opinion, to be super interesting. Although, you know, what's interesting um, depends on the person. Um, if you're a lower level learner and you see some of the these simpler example sentences, they might well be interesting to you just because you know they're in English and you understand them, and that's still a um, kind of a novel or interesting and fresh feeling for you. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the strongest one for that purpose. The number of example sentences is not amazing. Um, it's pretty good. It's enough um, for you to get the idea of what the word means into your head, but it is not really enough to really systematically give you all the meanings of a word. And again, for some people, that's not what you need. If you have a B1 level, you do not need the B2. And Well, you might need the B2 uh, meaning words, but you don't need these advanced meanings of words. They're a waste of time for you because you don't need them yet. You have more urgent things to learn. So again, if you're, you know, A2, B1 level, B1, you know, this is a great dictionary for it. This is probably the best one that you can use um, if your goal is to go through a word list and, you know, find all the words that are in it um, that you don't know and the meanings of it that you don't know. Um, the uh, levels of the words, like, you know, so if you have a definition that's kind of unusual, it's going to, you know, tell you that it's B2 level. Um, that's Cambridge. Um, moving on, Britannica. So, Britannica, um, this used to be called Learner's Dictionary. If, uh, so, I used to type in, you know, www.learnersdictionary.com, and if you do that, it'll still take you to the Britannica um, Dictionary. And it's a little bit strange that it's called Britannica because it is, I believe, a descendant of Webster's Dictionary. And so, Webster's Dictionary is a dictionary that's very popular and famous in the United States, Um it was written by Noah Webster originally, um, sometime I think in the 1930s or, or sorry, 1830s originally. And Noah Webster was, I believe, a cousin of Daniel Webster, who was a congressman in the United States and a very um, popular and influential um, congressman and orator. 
um, at that time, like in the 1830s. Um, and so it's a little bit odd that they call it Britannica. Britannica um, was a publisher for a long time um, of encyclopedias, and they still are, but I, they don't make a, a paper version. Now, I'm, I'm really getting off on a tangent. A tangent is a something that's only slightly related, barely related to what you're mainly talking about. But I remember when I was a kid, the reason I know Britannica is because um, when I was a kid, there was a a guy that my dad befriended. The guy was a bit of a bit of a loser, frankly, and he was an encyclopedia salesman, and my dad kind of felt bad for him, and, and you know, we, we like, my family reads a lot, and so uh, my dad bought um, an entire set of uh, Britannica encyclopedias, including um, one volume of the set that was actually just an index that covered the rest of the, of the stuff, of the, the, the volumes, and, you know, at some point we got rid of it, you know, in the last three or four years. But so Britannica, which sounds very British, um, it's actually a dictionary mainly of American English, and however, the pronunciations, you have a little speaker on each page for each word, um, and there's a blue speaker, which if I recall is the U.S. Um, or North American English, and then on the, the red one is the British English. Um, this is my long-term, long, uh, long-term favorite or long-time favorite um, dictionary um, to use with students. Um, it's um, suitable for kind of a B1 or B2 level. It's a little bit harder than Cambridge. But it doesn't. It's not as. Uh, it's not as kind of set on giving you these high end definitions as Longman's is. It does give them to you, um, but it's the, the definitions are easier to read. It is as rigorous or as strict and correct as Longman's is um, with a definition. Sometimes I read the definitions and think, wow, that's that's really a great way to explain it. Um, I'm pretty darn good myself at writing definitions, but I am not um, as good as, um, in, so, in some cases, sometimes I'm better. Sometimes, honestly, I write a, a definition that I think is better and more precise than some of these professionals. But um, there are other times where I think, man, I was really struggling with the definition there. And um, Learner's Dictionary for me has for many years been the one where I think that, wow, that's really great. It has examples um, without too many of them. One thing that I like is that it's got a plus sign. You know, you've got, say, three or four examples, and then it's got a little plus sign. And if you're, you know, you've already had your, your you're up to your, your, um, your gills, your, uh, your gills are the slits or the cuts in the side of a fish. If you say that you're up to your gills in something, it means you have too much or something. Um, if you're up to your gills and examples and you're sick of it, then you just don't press plus. If you want more examples, you're thirsty for more, then press it. And the examples are not um, like Longman's where they feel like they were um, all taken out of the same class of sources where they all read very similar to each other. Um, the ones in Learner's Dictionary... They feel kind of artisanal a little bit, a little bit, where um, somebody sat down and made um, examples that were kind of cute. Um, there was one, I don't remember what the word was that was being defined, um, but there was some example that was very surprising um, where um, a truck drove through um, the, the front of a restaurant while people were dining in it. And one of my students, I remember reading it, the definition with him, and we both just started laughing. <laughs> so it... Um, it is kind of a dry resource um, some of the time, but other times it has, you know, cute and funny stuff um, stuck in there. Um, so, yeah, yay, um, Learner's Dictionary, or Britannica, as it's now called. Um, if you have a C1 or C2 level, you also won't find it boring. It's not going to be as good as, in terms of, ex of examples, but um, 
Longman's, frankly, might be overkill for some people. You know, too many examples is not going to hurt you. You just stop reading them. But um, uh, Britannica is is just, you know, is great. Um, next dictionary, Wiktionary. So this might be a little bit surprising that it's on the list. You know, like, well, it's associated with Wikipedia. It's the same kind of method. And um, I was skeptical about it a little bit at first. I, I tend to be skeptical of new things. Um, and um, I looked at it and... Um, Actually, I was—I won't say quite that I was blown away. I mean, I was blown away. If you're blown away, it means that you're absolutely, completely surprised. I was blown away relative to my expectations, which were kind of low. Um, the definitions are extremely well written. At times, even better than Learner's Dictionary. Um, when you get a, a large group of people working on certain types of projects... Um, that don't require like formal expertise, like writing a dictionary... Um, you know, you need to have people who are good at it, um, but I don't think that you need to have um, a giant team of nothing but experts. Um, people who are really dedicated, um, and when I say experts, I mean formal experts. Um, so, yeah, the definitions are great. Um, it's a little bit short on um, example sentences, but the ones that are there are pretty good. It gives you the etymology or word history of the words at times. That's really great. And it puts um, the primary meaning of words first. Um, so, for example, with the word chart, um, with the word chart, they give you the primary meaning, which is um, a map of the sea um, or of the stars. So that's the original meaning of chart, and that's where you get all of the other meanings, like you know, a, a chart or a bar, uh, a chart that you use in an office, or a bar chart or a pie chart or whatever. Um, all of that originally comes from the the meaning, which is is a map. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the the definitions are great. Um, examples are not super plentiful. Um, there are recordings on there that you can listen to, and it's pretty good. Um, and again, again, I, I have to say that the, the quantity, the quantity of it is not amazing. That's the main downfall of it. But you might not want that. And I encourage you um, to experiment with it. Go on Wiktionary and see what you think. Um, and um, then, oh, there's one that I didn't mention in the list. And as I was reading this, uh, going through this and you know, deciding you know, what I was going to say about each one, um, I forgot. I've written a couple dictionaries myself. Um, and... Um, the dictionary that I, well, two of them, three, if you, depending on how you look at it, um, two of them are A2, A2 key dictionaries. Um, you know, they're written, um, at an A2 key level, um, and they cover every word and every expression in the A2 key word list. Now, recently the A2 key word list was updated. They do this every couple of years. They take out some words, they put in some words, and it looks like as I went through the list recently again, I realized that there are some things that have been added that I haven't included, but I don't think they're anything critical and that the sky is going to fall from them not being in there. Um, at some point I might insert them, which requires a fair amount of work. You know, you have to redo the numbering because I, I didn't just put them in alphabetically. That's what's different about my dictionary, these two A2 key dictionaries. And the, the two versions are, one is English-Spanish, um, and the definitions are in Spanish. Um, for the people that I know of that are listening to this podcast so far, that's, you know, not really useful. Um, but um, the definitions are written in Spanish. Um, sometimes they're just a straight translation. Other times it says something like, you know, no direct translation possible. Here's the situation in which you use this word. Favorite examples of that are the words get and at. Um, 
you just can't translate those words that effectively. If you try to do that, you're going to go down a rabbit hole, and it's just going to be a mess. So I, I just thought, no, I'm going to explain it in Spanish what the word means, how it's used, and that's how I did it. Um, the other version of the A2 key is um, uh, it's English only. And a lot of my Russian-speaking students and occasional people that I get from other countries, occasional, honestly, rare. <laughs> it almost never happens. Um, they use this, and people have really liked it. Um, of course, they're talking to me, and maybe secretly inside they're thinking that, you know, this is no good. Uh, but um, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think people really like it because they ask for more. Um and um, the other dictionary I wrote um, is more of a glossary. So a glossary um, is, you know, a, a dictionary about a specific topic um, or um, that's connected with a particular text. And so that's the, the one that I, you know, I advertise um, or I plug. Plug is a good um, kind of slangish word or more conversational word for... Um, uh, for advertise. So it's uh, words for numbers is the dictionary or glossary again that I plug at the beginning of every episode. It's about 500 words in total. Um, it's on my Patreon. Um, you've already heard about it at the beginning of the episode, but it's patreon.com slash words for numbers and it's by theme. Um, so, you know, there's here's how you talk about um, um, increases and well, what kind of increases? You got slow increases, you got fast ones, um, you've got um, you know, stability, you've got instability, and it covers all these topics. And I'm sure there's some holes in it. As I use it with students, I kind of realize, okay, there's another word here and there, but overall, the thing is pretty darn complete, honestly. And it's got pictures in it. Um, it tends to go into a lot of detail about each word. It focuses on just one meaning of each word. Um, not quite one meaning. It's one meaning that is for talking about data. So as the name of the dictionary suggests, words for numbers is for talking about data. Um, and it's for business um, people who want to, you know, talk about, you know, the chart that they've got up in front of the room um, or for writing a report. Um, and it's also for people who are preparing for IELTS Task 1 academic writing where, you know, they throw a chart in front of you or a pair of charts and say, tell us what's happening here. And you have to describe it. Um, so, yeah, that's what that dictionary or glossary is for, and I think it does a pretty solid job. There are some things that, you know, here and there that I could improve about it, um, but um, in the future I might do um, a version that has more realistic data because um, there are sources of data that, um, you know, for example, there's a, a website, it's called Our World in Numbers, if I recall correctly, and it just shows things like, you know, immigration rates and, you know, murder rates and um, pizza, re uh, pizza eating rates and, you know, just random stuff. Um, the difficulty with using actual data is that you've got a list of words and, you know, you're going to find um, pretty quickly certain things, you know, things like increase or decrease. Of course, you're going to instantly find that stuff. But as time goes on, it's going to get harder and harder to find specific things like dwindle. So if something dwindles, it means that it decreases slowly, step by step, over you know a fair, fairly long period of time. So you know you, you need the word. Uh, you've got the word dwindle, and you're looking for um, a piece of data that corresponds to that word. And you're like, where do I go? How do I actually find this? Um, so I guess AI could help that happen in the future. Um, so um, finally, to the last one. Um, the one that I think people actually tuned in for and the one that people um, clicked on, the uh, 
episode at all was ChatGPT. Wow, I'm looking at the clock. It's been like 31 minutes. This is an exceptionally long episode. I don't normally do this. So, um, first thing about ChatGPT, um, I'm not an expert on AI. Um, I am an expert on dictionaries, I consider. Um, am I an expert among experts? No. But am I the best expert you know? I'm pretty sure I am. Um, so, about ChatGPT, what I, I tried to do a couple of things with it. One is that I tried to make a, a rudimentary course, or a part of a rudimentary course. Um, and the other one was I tried to make it write, uh, you know, a bit of a dictionary. Um, with a rudimentary course, I basically asked it a question. I said, hey, what are the, um, the phonemes or individual sounds between Russian and English, like the ones of North American English that cause problems for native Russian speakers. And it gave a listicle that looked really credible, and it said, okay, here are the vowels. It's got monophthongs. You know, those are vowels that are made out of one vowel. It's got diphthongs. Um, and then I think it went into triphthongs, which actually North American English doesn't have. I don't remember exactly what it what it wrote. But um, then it got, and, and it was written, the, the way it was structured was exactly the way you would structure um, a comparative linguistics article. You know, okay, well, let's compare English and Russian, or let's compare, you know, omotic languages from the, the southwest of Ethiopia with, um, I don't know, Quechua spoken in Peru. Okay, you start off with the phonemes, and the, it, t- it tends to be the vowels, and then it goes into the consonants, and then it goes into combinations of sounds, and then it goes into you know larger and larger structures, like how paragraphs are typically organized or something if the language has a written form. Um, and that's basically what it did, although I didn't ask it anything, you know, like a, a, for something big. I just asked for, you know, the, the vowel and consonant sounds. And it had actually flagrant errors. Flagrant error is one that's absolutely obvious that a non-expert can point out. So it said that um, that Russian speakers can't make consonant clusters that start with SK, and I thought that's obviously just nonsense. Um, so I also had it write a bit of a, a dictionary. I mean, I had it write a couple um, dictionary uh, entries, you know, just articles on particular words, and it did a pretty darn good job. The definitions were pretty good. Um, the example sentences were good, and if I said, hey, write me 20 example sentences, well, it did that. Um, I said, give me collocations. It did it. Um, the collocations were kind of in an undigestible, ugly form, like list form that didn't look good. Um, and I said, hey, separate the collocations into transparent ones and non-transparent ones. And in the case of the word I looked up, appeal, it didn't have any non-transparent ones. All of them were transparent. And I, I looked up another word, and it did separate them into transparent and untransparent, but not in a super effective way. And then I, one thing that it could not do yet was... I, I said, hey, separate the sentences in, or oh, no, downgrade the sentences. Instead of writing example sentences at this level, write them at this level. It just gave me basically the same sentences again. Now, it might give me a different result ne- um, next time. If I do it in two years, it might get better at it. At the moment, it can't really grade sentences into difficulty levels. It sucks at it, or just doesn't do it, um, which is something that my A2 key, t- uh, A2 key dictionary does. It does put them at strict levels. Um, I haven't done it formally like this is what these levels are, but when I write a sentence, I know what's what's difficult and what's not for the people who are reading it, and ChatGPT can't do that yet. I was also, like, I had weird feelings about this really grievous error that it made, you know, saying that Russians can't do consonant clusters when the language is absolutely full of them. Um, on the one hand, it gave me hope. It made me think, you know, humans still have a chance. Um, on the other hand, I thought, man, this thing creates really plausible bullshit in huge volumes. All you have to do is, hey, what do you think of this? And it just gives you this absolutely academic-sounding thing, which has 
mistakes in it. And the potential for generating bullshit is, is just out of control. Um, I think... I know that it's going to result in a flood of crappy stuff that looks totally plausible because it's written academically, like I already said. And um, for old, established business ident- um, entities, like, say, Pearson Longman or something, um, they'll be fine um, because, you know, it's going to create a world where nobody knows what to believe anymore. Um, and so the the companies that have been around, these blue-chip companies, blue-chip companies is one that has existed for a long time and is really respected, like, you know, Procter & Gamble is a blue-chip company or um, Siemens or something like that. So blue-chip um, educational companies like Pearson Longman or, or whatever um, will be great because, um, you know, there will be this, this general feeling of doubt, and some people will still cling to, or hold, cling to means hold on to very desperately. They'll, they'll cling to um, uh, things like Pearson Longman and, and uh, Britannica and so on. Um, new entrants, like myself, are going to have a harder and harder time making themselves believed. Um, and another thing is that I remember, you know, some years ago there was kind of a a growing debate about paywalls and academic materials. So paywalls, you know, you've got like these academic journals and they might be about linguistics or cancer research or what have you, you know, almost any topic is, is covered. And if you want to read one of the articles, well, you're going to have to pay 35 bucks or you're going to have to go to a library or something. Um, and you might not be able to get access to it without paying. And, and I agreed that, you know, at the time that, wow, that's, that's, that's not good because there's a lot of really useful information in those and that society would, you know, really benefit from that information kind of seeping out or, or flowing out into, um, into society. But, um, also, of course, you know, when you give people a lot of expert information, um, they're totally capable of misusing it and misunderstanding it in both, um, intentionally and unintentionally. Um, but it seemed to me that overall but it's better that, you know, people have access to that kind of stuff. Um, but um, now, what before to me seemed like an unfair hiding of information behind paywalls. I, I don't really think of it that way anymore because if those paywalls are down and ChatGPT has access to them, it can train on those those text models and start making basically making academics even more obsolete than they are. Um, I mean, I'm speaking from a U.S. perspective. In some countries, um, I guess academics are still well respected and paid for. In the United States, that's really a separate topic. But academics, you know, it, it's hard to get a well-paying job um, in universities these days. Um, and so the idea that, you know, these people before were hiding behind these paywalls and, you know, taking 35 bucks an article, um, probably not making that much money. It probably wasn't even, you know, the, the people who wrote them making the money. Let's be real. It was the publishers. But um, I'd rather have, you know, a handful of academic publishers making that money um, than a handful of computer programmers who don't even know what's actually being talked about. I also do know for a fact that in the academic publishing world, um, there's some really dirty stuff that happens. I can't really get into that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on ChatGPT um, and on dictionaries. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been... Wow. No, it hasn't been that long. I mislooked at the... I, I missaw the uh, the thing here. It is a record. It is 38 minutes now, almost 39. But in any case, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have, too. Thank you for listening. 
Um, please write your comments about the different dictionaries you've used in uh, below and your thoughts about ChatGPT. Um, if you want the chat um, below or the, the comments below to be monopolized by ChatGPT and that's what happens, that's okay. But um, I'm also curious not just about what you think about that because everybody's talking about it, um, but also what you think about dictionaries and the ones that I've described, including the ones um, that I've written and the ones that I've not written. So, anyway, thanks again for listening, and um, looking forward to talking next Monday.